Sunday, Wednesday night, so I'm super excited because if I remember, the last time I got to speak was like back in June, so it's a couple months ago. So I'm, ex- I'm super excited to um, be able to speak to you guys tonight. Um, uh, some quick reminders before I jump into the text. Uh, just so you guys know, D now is next week. Am I right? Right? April 1st. Yeah. All right. Next week, a week from Friday. All right? So I'm hope, I hope that you're signed up. I hope to see all you guys there. Uh, it's going to be a fun weekend. Also, one more thing is, uh, I was about to say D now, okay? Infuge. All right? Infuge. If you have not signed up for Infuge, sign up for Infuge. All right? It's going to be awesome. Infuge is great. Especially you middle school guys, all right? I better see all you guys there. All right? Or I'm going to drag you there myself. So you better sign up. All right? So, D now. It might be the beard. All right, all right, all right. I think we're good. Okay. I'm going to move up a little bit. Ben, I'm going to get closer to you. All right. I, okay. Are we good? I think it's the beard. All right. So let's jump into the text. All right. So if you have your Bibles, turn to James 4. James 4. We're continuing in the series of Rooted, looking at the book of James. And I want to ask you guys, do you know what the acronym uh, DIY stands for? Have you heard? Do it yourself. All right. Do it yourself. All right. It's a big term. DIY. Now, I bet some of the girls have, like, done, like, DIY, like, decorations, home improvements. Have you guys? Have you girls? All right. I'm seeing some, like, nods. They're just afraid to. Tyus is putting his hand up, so I'm assuming that he, uh, he's done some. All right. So, DIY. Do it yourself. All right. This term started back in, like, I think, as I was studying it, the 1950s. And really, it became a thing with, like, home improvement and home decoration. Right, so you can go online and look up DIY stuff for like, oh, I'm gonna make a wreath. Okay, my sister, like, anything in her house. If you see any decoration, you're like, oh, where'd you get that from? Oh, she'll she'll be like, oh, I made it, I made it. I'm like, oh, uh, that, that's great. All right, so DIY is do it yourself. All right, instead of here, all right, here's the uh, DIY ethic: self-reliance through completing tasks without the aid of a paid expert. All right, so basically, you're being self-reliant, self-sufficient. Right? Don't, don't go get a paid expert when you can look it up on YouTube how to do it. All right? Like, I one time had to replace, like, some gelatinous ring thing on a toilet. And instead of, like, having someone do it, paying someone to do it, I had to go on YouTube, learn how to take the toilet up, take the thing off, and put the new one on there. It was, it was a hassle because the bathroom was, like, like, no wider than this. Like, it was super small, and I had, like, no room to move. All right? But DIY, do it yourself. The whole mentality is self-sufficiency, self-reliance. All right? Don't rely on other people. Do it yourself. Uh, there was one time I was watching an episode of, and I, this is the only episode I've ever seen of the show, but the show is called Big City Greens. Has anyone heard of that? Okay, so I, I'm assuming we have some fans. All right? So I've only ever seen one episode of that show. And the one episode I saw was where... Basically, you have the Green family, all right? The two kids, Cricket and Tilly, is that her name? Tilly, okay. Cricket and Tilly and her friend, rich friend Remy are outside, and they break the vacuum. So their dad comes out, and he's like, what happened to the vacuum? 
And Remy's like, and Remy says to uh, Mr. Green, Mr. Green, who are you going to call to repair it? And Mr. Green's like, Remy, all right, I'm a DIY guy, all right, self-reliance. And the kids are like, oh, he's going to do this soul self-reliance thing. Oh, we've heard it so many times. And so he's like, all right, I'm a, di- I'm a DIY guy. I'm going to do it myself. We don't need to pay someone to fix the vacuum. We'll do it. So as the episode goes on, they go to the hardware store. He's talking about a big game. He's like, oh, yeah, I've been to so many, uh, I've been to hardware stores before. This would be super easy. Gets to this hardware store, and it is massive. And he's like, oh, it's bigger than the one I'm used to, but it should be no problem. Well, of course, throughout the episode, they're like getting lost, and they can't find, you, find this vacuum belt. All right? So they're going through the store trying to find the vacuum belt. Now, his kids are off doing something else, and he's with Remy because he's teaching Remy how to be self-reliant. And so they can't find his vacuum belt, and he refuses to get help from the store, uh, the store employees. And so finally, they get it. And then, like, throughout the episode, he ends up, like, almost dying because his son knocks over a bunch of, like, uh, the um, metal shelving. And he's like, he's, like, trying to hold one up, and, like, toilets are falling towards him. And Remy's like, Mr. Green, you have to ask for help. He's like, no, I got this. I can do it. And then he sees, like, a toilet about to come on him, like, fall onto him. And he's like, all right, I need help. And his daughter comes out of nowhere, kicks, it, kicks the toilet in the air. His son, like, pushes the thing back with the... Uh, uh, forklift. All right, it's a weird episode. <laughs> All right, but here's how the episode ends. All right, so they get the vacuum, they get the vacuum belt, and they go home, and they, they fix it, they put it in there, and they turn it on, and it works for like two seconds, and then breaks. And uh, Mr. Green looks at Remy, and he says, Remy, can you call a repairman? All right, but so he was like, self-reliant, self-sufficient. I don't need anybody else. I can do it myself. That was his whole mentality, and he called himself a DIY guy. And as I was thinking about it, I, was, I had the thought of, like, there, are no, there should be no DIY Christians. There should be no do-it-yourself Christians. And what I mean by that is that we get caught up in this independent culture that we think, oh, I need to be self-reliant self-sufficient, um, self-sustaining, all about self. When scripture says, just like we were singing a song, Lord, I need you. All right, we need the Lord. We need God. We are dependent on God. And that's what scripture tells us. And so there are no DIY Christians. And so I want you to keep that in mind as we jump into the text. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be looking at James 4, and we're going to start with... Thir- uh, verses 13 and 14. And if you don't have your Bible, the verse will be up on the screen. So let's read it together. It says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. So right here, James gives you a picture of a businessman. A businessman who travels from town to town. Now, with his audience, that was the normal thing, okay? So many of them was probably traveling from town to town, doing business, trading, whatever it was. Now, he gives you a businessman who has a well-thought-out plan, all right? Let's see some of the things that he planned out, all right? He planned out the time. He said, today or tomorrow is when we'll do it. He had the personnel, we, me and whoever else is working with me, 
That's who's going to go. All right? He had the place to such and such town. All right? James being vague, but he has the town. All right? The person has a town. We'll go to this town. He had the duration. We'll spend a year there. And the activity or the business is trade. All right? We're going to trade there. And then the anticipated result is make a profit. All right? They want to make bank in a year doing their uh, trading. All right? So here's a businessman who has a thought-out plan. Now, as you read this, it sounds like this person is certain that this is what's going to happen. That he is certain that they're going to go to the town, they're going to spend a year there, they're going to uh, trade, and they're going to make a profit. All right? This person sounds so certain. He even says, we will do it. We will do it. And that will happen. And so this person sounds so certain. But I love how James, in the next verse, he's going to take him down a peg. All right? He says, all right, you speak with certainty, yet you do not know what tomorrow will hold. You don't know what will happen tomorrow. You don't know what your life will hold. What is it? And as, like, someone who has, like, anxiety and, like, thinks, like, every little possible thing that could happen, I'm like, what could happen, all right? They could be mugged on the way, all right? They can be left on the side of the road, left for dead, all right? They could get to the town and start doing business and have competition. They could get to the town and do their business and find out that nobody wants that. They don't want that product. So many things could happen, right? They don't know what's going to happen, but yet they speak with such certainty that it's going to happen. And James says, you are like a mist to show that your life is short. Bible multiple times has said, you know, talked about the brevity of life, how our life is just like a, like a little blip on a huge line, all right? That's our life. He says, you are like a mist. You don't know what your life is going to be like. Think about a uh, mist in the morning. You wake up, you go outside, and there's like mist everywhere, and you can't even see six feet in front of you. Well, by noon, that mist, at least by noon, that mist will be gone. So it's there for a short time, and then it's gone. So he says, all right, you're speaking with such certainty about your life. All right, it's only a short period. You don't even know how long you'll live. And so that's what James is trying to tell these people who are making these plans with such certainty. But the problem here that I want you to see is that they're making a plan independent from God. Right? Nowhere in that thing, did you, in uh, what he said, did you hear God? He's speaking about himself, his will, that we will go to the town, we will travel to the town, spend a year there, do business, trade, and make a profit. Right? He was so certain about himself, and he was all about himself. And he had an I will attitude. That's what you see in that passage. He had I will attitude, an attitude that says, I will do this. I will do that. It will happen. As if it was a certain thing. Now, I want, I want to make it clear that it's good, you know, it is not wrong to make plans, all right? James is not saying, all right, don't plan for the future, right? It's wrong. Don't plan for it. No. He's not saying that that's wrong. But it is wrong to have a self-will attitude. An attitude that is focused only on you, all right? The plan... If you make a plan that is solely focused on you, and you make a plan as if it's going to be a certain thing, this self, this I will attitude, James says, is wrong. 
All right, let me give you, let me give you an illustration. All right, there's another person who had a selfful attitude. It was Satan. Satan had an I will attitude. Look at Isaiah 14. God says, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. Above the stars of God, I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Satan was having all these I wills like as if it's a certain thing. He says, I will be greater than you, God. I will be, I will be seated above you. He has this I will attitude as if it's a certain thing. But of course, we know what happened, all right? Satan kicked his butt out of heaven, all right? He was so certain, like, I will be like you. I will be above you. But of course, God kicked him out of heaven. As I was thinking about this, it made me think back, back to high school when I had, a, had an I will attitude. Um, so I went here for my high school years, 9th through 12th grade. I ran for president every single year. And the first year I got nominated, you know, I was a new kid. I only been here for like a month or two. And I was like, I'm not going to win. Because the person I'm going up against is basically me, but better in every way. So I'm like, I'm not going to win. I get nominated again sophomore year. And I'm like, okay, people know me. It's a new person that I'm going up against. I will win. I, it's guaranteed. I'm going to win. And I was so confident. I was so cocky. And I was like, I'm going to win. It, it's going to happen. Well, I lost. All right? So I lost. I lost to a girl. And she became president. All right? And then, okay, it only gets better, okay? Junior year, I get nominated again against the same person. All right, so I'm like, all right, it's on. I'm going to win this time. You're going down. I will win. And so, like, I plan everything. I get, like, my speech ready. I'm like, all right, this is killer. There's no way I'm not going to win. I lost. All right, three times in a row, I lost. Then comes the last year, all right, my senior year. I get nominated again. But this time, there's me and two other people. And one of the other people was the same girl who had beat me two years in a row. And then one of my classmates. Guess what happened? Yeah. And I got vice president. So, so I mean, at least I got partial win. All right, it's not president, but it's vice president. But, but even then, I had that I will add to, like, I'm going to win. I will win. And it's so funny. Thinking back, I'm like, I was like, I was so certain. And God is looking down at me like, you ain't going to win. You're going to lose four times, four years in a row. You're never going to get that, the power of being president, student council president. You'll never feel that, all right? But I had a I will attitude, thinking that something is certain. I was so, I was so like, um, focused on myself as if I had the power. I had the power to do that, as if I knew it was a certain thing, when in reality, I had no idea. And obviously, I was wrong every time. And the problem is that God was not included all right, the per business person didn't include God, didn't consider God. Satan was completely against God when he said that. And of course, I was not thinking about God at that situation in that moment. All right, I just wanted to win. I just wanted to be student council president. And so that's the problem: is God was not included. Now, now we're going to see what J what James says when we include God. All right, so that was the businessman didn't include God. Now let's see what it looks like to include God in our plans, all right? So verse 15, it says, Instead, 
you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. So basically what James just did is, still there's a plan, but God has been added into the equation. God has been added into the equation. He says, if the Lord wills, all right, here's the plan, we will live and do this or that. Like, I was just thinking, like, what if you added, if the Lord wills, on the last one? If the Lord wills, we will travel to such and such town and spend a year there and trade to make a profit. But they didn't do that. They spoke with such certainty as if it was a certain thing. They didn't consider God that God might have a different plan, that their life might have a different plan. But this time, James adds, if the Lord wills. And here's what, and here's what believers should do, all right? If you have a plan, it should be conditioned to God's will, all right? We can make plans for the future, but they, they should be conditioned to God's will, all right? And why do we do that, all right? First of all, he's in control. He's in control, all right? We make plans, but I'm ultimately not in control of what happens, all right? I'm not in control if I go to a town and do business. I'm not in control of who else is selling that same product. I'm not in control of the economy at that time. I'm not in control of those things. But God is in control. Right? He knows what tomorrow holds. James said, you do not know what tomorrow holds. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen with my life. But God does. Right? He knows what our life holds. Right? I can have a plan for my future. Right? But I don't know if that's going to come true. I don't know if that's what's going to happen. God might have a different plan, a different route. So he knows what our life holds. And of course, I got to say, the best illustration that come to mind was the Apostle Paul. Paul is the best illustration of this. Because if you look at his life and his writings, here's a man that completely conditioned all of his, all of his plans, all of his life on God. This is a man who loved the Lord and did everything in his will and considered his will. Like, let me read some of the verses. All right, Acts 18, 21. But he said, farewell, and added, I'll come back to you if God wills. All right, if I remember, if I remember right, he's in Antioch, if I remember. He's in Antioch, but basically he's somewhere, and the people don't want him to leave. They say, they beg him, Paul, please don't leave. Stay with us a little longer. And that's when he says this, I'll come back to you if the Lord wills. My plan is to come back to you, and I want to come back to you. That's my desire. But that's only if God wills. 1 Corinthians 4.9. But I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. Again, he uses that same equation as James, all right? If the Lord wills, I will come to you soon. He's telling the Corinthians, I want to come to you. I know there's problems in the church, and I want to come to you personally. But that's only if the Lord wills. So many times in his letters, Paul wanted to come visit the people. But he knew that it was only conditioned on God's will. Because what could have Paul been thinking about, right? He knew death was going to happen at some point, right? He knew death was going to come. He faced persecution. Persecution could have derailed his plans. He had a ministry to attend to, all right? So there might have been a new ministry opportunity that got opened up. Of course, he was, in, he was imprisoned. He had to, he had to, he had to um, go on trial so many times and defend himself, all right? And then maybe just a change of plans by some unknown circumstance, Here's some of the things that Paul could have been considering and knew that, knew that um, would, knew would derail his plans. 
he had a plan and he had a desire to see them, but he's like, if the Lord wills. It's only if the Lord wills. And as I, I was thinking about this, I thought back to like my senior year. All right, I'm just going back to high school for all these. All right. So I was thinking about my senior year and you seniors who um, are about to graduate, have you been asked the question, do I have seniors here? I feel like two, three, four, five. Okay. Have you been asked the question, um, what school are you going to go to? What are you going to do with your life? In some form. All right. I'm, I'm seeing some yeses. Okay. I know I did. So if you haven't, you don't have people that care about you, but I'm, I'm just kidding. All right. But of course I had that question asked because because you're about to leave high school, and then you're about to go on a journey where you're going to go to college, you're going to learn what the uh, essential knowledge to go into a certain career path, all right? You're about to go down a new road, apart, you know, separated from your parents, on, on a new road where you're going to have, like, family, kids, career, and all this stuff. And people ask that. But, of course, like, sometimes we're like, uh, I have, like, this one school that I want to go to. I was thinking, I was thinking about um, a conversation I had with somebody. And I remember they really wanted to go to this one school. And you're like, Alex, I don't know what I'm going to do if I don't get into this one school. Now, of course, I thought to myself, I know the school, dude, you're going to get in. And I know you, you're going to get in. All right. But I also told him, you know, it's all conditioned on the Lord's will. If the Lord wills that, then he will allow you to go there. But also, you know, face the fact that maybe he has a different plan for you. Maybe he wants you to attend a different college for a different reason. Or maybe you think that you're going down this one path this career path, like, oh, I'm going to be a doctor. He's like, no, I want you to be a missionary. Or I want you to go do something else. All right? So even with that, with decisions like that, we got to condition on God's will. Because it really comes down to, all right, we're going to stick to my plan, or is it ultimately going to depend on God's plan, his will? All right? And so it comes down to our plan or our will and God's plan or, our, or his will. All right? Let's jump into verses 16, 17, and here are, here are two um, responses and actions that we see in people who are going after their own will, or maybe not be seeking God's will. Verse 16, as it is, you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin, and I know whoever is spelled wrong, I just saw that, okay? So verse 16, verse 16 talks about Boasting in your arrogance. And this is looking back to verses 13 and 14. The man who said, I will go to such such town, spend a year there, trade, and make a profit. All right? He was boasting in his arrogance. And the word arrogance has the idea of proud confidence in one's own knowledge or cleverness. But the word also implies that qualities aren't really possessed. Okay? So you're proud and confident in your knowledge and your cleverness when in reality you really don't have that. All right, you really don't have the necessary knowledge. You don't have the necessary cleverness. And I thought this was funny. As I was studying um, this verse, I found out that the word was originally used as a, as a characteristic of, the one, of a wandering quack. All right, that's what it said, used as a characteristic of a wandering quack. There's a wandering quack going around saying that he can cure something that he can't actually cure. Uh, you know, the one thing I came out of mind is like... Uh, like, a person who's going around is like, for baldness, like, oh, if you, if you rub this on your head, your hair will come back. And, of course, he's lying, right? He's trying to make a profit, right? But he says he, can't cure, he can cure something that he can't cure. 
He says he can do something that he can't do. Right? That's what we are doing, and that's what he says. You're boasting in arrogance and a proud confidence of something you don't have, a knowledge you don't have, a cleverness you don't have, um, a certainty you don't have. So you're boasting in the arrogance and a proud confidence. Basically saying you're like a wandering quack. Right? That's what you're doing when you boast in yourself in this arrogance. And he says, boasting in oneself and one's own will is evil. He says evil. Now let's, uh, now let's go to verse 17, okay? Paul, uh, not Paul, James says, says something very heavy. He drops a heavy load on you. Basically what he says is, if you know, if you know what is good, what is, what, if you know the good you should do, and you don't do it or you fail to do it, for you it is sin. Right? To know good and not do it, that's sin. That is sin. Now, what is the good? Because right? that's a broad term, like what is the good? Right? Think about the context of these verses, verses 13 and 17. Based on these verses, James would say the good is to include God in your plans, condition on him. Right? He, says, he says that would be the good in that context. Right? Now, look at the whole book of James. Okay? We've been going through the book of James. Look back on what he said. He sa- has said so many good things you should do. Count it all joy when we meet trials of various kinds. Endure. Be doers of the word, not hearers only. Um, don't show favoritism. Love your neighbor. Uh, I just had one in my mind. Uh, oh, humble yourself. Submit to God. He's, he has said so many good things for you to do that you should be doing. And then zoom out even more. All right? We can just say the whole Bible. Right? The Bible shows us so many good things we should do. It tells us to love your neighbor, to love your enemies. Um, it just says so many good things. And of course, Scripture and God expects us to do those good things. You know, the Christian life isn't just about not doing evil, right? Not, doing, not giving a sin, not sinning. So many times we think, oh, because I'm not sinning, I'm not doing evil. I'm a good Christian right now. I'm pleasing the Lord. It's like, of course, he's, he's glad that you are not doing evil, not, you're, you're not giving in to that. But he also expects you to do the good that he's revealed in his truth and his word. So doing good is just as important as not doing evil. It's important that you, you get that in your mind. Of course, you don't want to do evil, but you're also called to do good, the good that Scripture reveals. And it puts you under an obligation. Now, with this the, um, little time I've left, I want to talk about how do, you, how do I put myself in God's, how do I put myself in God's will? All right, because we talked about God's will and how we should plan, our plans should be conditioned on God's will. That we should depend on God. That God should be included in everything we do. Right? Because we want to follow God's will. What God's um, plan is. So how do we put ourselves under that? And as I was thinking about this, three things came to my mind. And each subject is touched, by, touched on by James up to this point in some way. Alright? So I want to give you the three things that helps you put yourself in God's will, to make sure that you are following God, that you're doing his will, that you're taking him into consideration, to be pen- depending on him. 
All right? The first one is humble yourself. All right? You have to have humility. Show humility. Of course, Christ. Christ showed humility, and he tells us to show humility. We're supposed to humble ourselves. Uh, James 4.10 says, humble yourselves before God. Humble yourselves before God. And of course, uh, verses 13 and 14 talk about someone who is so full of himself, so certain of his own will. He's self-reliant. He's self-sufficient. Right? He's so full of himself. Right? He puts himself at a higher status than he should be. But of course, humbling does the opposite. It empties ourselves. It lowers ourselves. Being humble and showing humility shows that I'm not in control. I'm not in control of what happens. Right? I can't control the weather. I can't control unforeseen circumstances. Right? I can't control not being hit by another car. I can't control that. All right? There's things that we can't control. All right? And then we don't know tomorrow. It's meaning I don't know tomorrow. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I can have a plan for tomorrow. I can say, oh, I'm going to go to, uh, I'm going to go to uh, Carowinds tomorrow. Well, it could rain. It can start pouring down, and then there goes my plans. Right? We don't know tomorrow. And I like what Paul says, and this is something that I always apply back to my life, is that Paul in uh, 2 Corinthians 12 says, we are weak. We are weak. And he talks about boasting, and Paul even says, I boast in my weakness. James said, talks about someone boasting in their self-will, their, their own power, their own knowledge. But Paul boasts in his weakness. He says, I'm weak. I know I'm not in control. I know I know. I know I don't know tomorrow. I know I am weak. That I need God's help. And, and that's why he says, I boast all the more in my weakness, because it magnifies Christ's strength. So we humble ourselves. We realize we're weak. We don't, we're not in control. We don't know tomorrow. So humble yourself. And, second, and secondly, pray and ask. Because there is a part of God's will that we don't always know. We don't know the why of things. We don't know why something happens or why we go a different direction. All right? I had a different plan for my life. I was not going to, I wasn't going to go into ministry. But of course, that happened. All right? That happened. That's ha it's happening. So we have to pray for God's will because it's something we don't know. And of course, Scripture tells us to ask God. Ask God in prayer. Um, looking at some of the things James said, James 1.5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously. So if you lack wisdom, ask for it. And of course, the Bible tells us we need wisdom because we are foolish and we lead ourselves to... We lead our, ourselves to self-demise. Right? We lead ourselves to destruction. Because we're foolish, so we need wisdom. So you got to ask for that. you got to pray and ask for it. Especially wisdom concerning what God wants for us. What direction he wants us to go. What college he wants us to go to. What path he wants us to take. What job he wants us to do. What person he wants us to be with. The friends he wants us to have. We need that wisdom, so we got to ask for it. And of course... Looking back a couple of verses, you know, James says to his, uh, to his audience, you ask and do not receive because you have wrong motives. Well, you can ask and you can receive with right motives, right? So if your motive is to do the Lord's will, 
to live your life, to pattern him after him, to have your life completely focused on God, to be in his will, and you pray and ask, right? The Lord could answer your prayer. Now, of course, he may not, because ultimately, he has a plan, and we need to follow that. He has a will, and we need to do what he wants us to do, what he has planned for us. And so we pray and ask. And then lastly, we need to obey God's word. We need to obey God's word. One of the questions I've heard before is, what is God's will for my life? What is God's will for me? I've been there before, where I'm like, man, what is God's will for me? Well, when they ask that, I can't, you know, I um, ask a follow-up question. Have you been in God's word? Have you been in God's word? Because so much, so much of God's will is communicated in his word. He tells us part of his will, what he wants for us right now, right? Scripture talks about he wants, he wants um, his creation to come to salvation. He wants us to come to salvation. He wants us to become more like Christ-like, more Christ-like. Become more like his son, right? He wants us to live in obedience to him, to obey his commands. He wants us to love others, love our enemies. Scripture says so much about God's will, what he wants from us. And I'm just thinking about back to the college thing, you know, I don't know where God wants you to go to college, right? If you've made that decision, you've already been accepted, all right, you might know. Those of you who, that's further down the road, right, you're going to have to come with that decision. But here's the thing I think of, all right, you might get into your, the college you want to, or you might not. But whether you get into the college you want to, or the college you know you weren't planning on going to, no matter what, you're going to be loving, you're going to be loving your neighbor. You're going to be going and making disciples, no matter what. You're going to be doing God's will that is communicated in his word no matter where you're at. No matter where God takes you or, or you know, push you a different direction, you're going to be doing what God's word says. Doing his will right now of making disciples, of loving your neighbor, of obeying him, becoming more Christ-like. To go back to what James said previously, he talks about, about hearing and doing. You believe by hearing, but you just don't hear the word of God or read the word of God and walk away. No, you got to apply it. You got to do it. You got to be doers of his word. Do what he says. Do the good that he communicates in his word. And then uh, chapter two of James, he talks about faith without works is dead. So genuine faith, the belief in God and what he says should produce works. If you believe this to be true, then you should be doing it. So we have to be obeying God's word to be in his will. So we have to humble ourselves, to empty ourselves, and know that we are not in control, that God is in control. And we got to pray and ask, because sometimes we don't know. And scripture tells us to pray about these things, to ask, to ask for wisdom, all right, ask for direction. And we got to obey God's word. Um... As I was studying this, the words of Jesus just kept coming to my mind. And I want to I finish with this and look at the words of Jesus that he prayed to the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane. Of course, we know that he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane right before he was trade, betrayed 
and hung on a cross to take on the sins of the world, to take on the wrath of God, something that no, one, no other person has ever done. Only Jesus has taken on the sins of the world. He's the only one that has ever done that. So there's a lot of pressure on him. And this is what he prays to the Father right before that. He says, going a little further, he fell face down and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Jesus was more focused on doing the will of the Father than his own will. He was about to take on a heavy task, a heavy burden of taking on the sins of the world through his death on the cross. And despite that, he says, not my will, but your will be done. I will do your will. And he patterned his whole life after what the Father wanted, his will. He submitted. He depended on God. He humbled himself. And he was all about doing what the Lord wills. Let's pray. Dear Father God, Lord, I just thank you for this time that I was able to share the word of God, Lord. And I pray that everything I said was truth that comes, that comes from your word. I pray that the words I said were yours. Lord, help us to put ourselves in your will. Lord, because of sin and our fallenness, we get so caught up in being independent, focused on the self, our self-reliance, our self-sufficiency, the things that make me happy. Because, Lord, our nature goes against this, God. But, Lord, help us to place ourselves inside your will to live our lives for you. And Lord, help us to rely and trust in you. And God, help us to be doing your word, to be living our lives completely and wholly for you. Just like Jesus said, not my will, but your will. God, I just pray for you students. I pray that they have taken something away and they walk out here, Lord, different, closer to you, more Christ-like. Lord, we love you. And I pray that we would help you that you would help us to honor and glorify you in all the things we say and do. In Jesus' precious name, amen. All right, I'm sorry I went a little, a little long. I'm sorry about that. At least it wasn't 50 minutes when I first did it, so when I first went over it. So, all right, you were dismissed.